When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome, welcome, welcome back to the show, MD Nation. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and I have a jam-packed episode for you guys today. We are going over the five best, the five busts, and the five sleepers of the running back position. And of course, at the end of the episode for the last segment, we will have a mailbag segment from questions from you, the fans. And I will get to all of those questions either through this show or will answer them to you directly if you tweet at me at MDSFFshow, hit me up on Facebook at MDFFshow, or go to my website, www.mdffshow.com, and you can go to the Contact Us tab and send me a direct email. I will get back to you one way or another. And of course, keep that in mind because from now until the season, I will have a mailbag segment on each episode because it's draft season. It is August. We all have questions. We all have draft prep that we are trying to get to, and I am making sure that I am accessible and there for all of you. So make sure you go ahead and check that out. Also on the website, if you go there, I have the projections, the rankings, and the tier rankings all available for you. There's a nice download button for you at the bottom of the chart that you can go ahead and download onto your laptop or your cell phone, whatever you want to use for your preparation device. I am making everything available to you to give you the best information possible for you guys to try to win your drafts and be well on your way to establishing a championship team this year. It's all very exciting. We are in the middle of it. We are in the thick of it. Your draft is either around the corner a few weeks away or is 
happening as we speak this week. It is prime time draft season. It is what I live for. It is what I love. It is my Christmas come early. This is what it is all about. So make sure you guys are tuning in to my Twitter account for all the player update news notifications because there's been a lot going on now that we've had a week of preseason in the books. There are injuries aplenty. There are questions aplenty of performances. Everything. Everybody wants everything analyzed and I am there for you. So utilize me as your tool to help your fantasy teams. That is what I am here for. We have a lot to get to in today's episode. I got a great latest news segment to kick us all off. Don't have a lot of announcements to really get to this week because thankfully I did not have to wait a week to talk to you again unlike last week. Remember, we will be back on Thursday with another episode too. We'll be going over the five best, five bus, five sleepers for the wide receivers on Thursday. So we're back to two episodes a week until the season where we will be at four a week just so you guys are aware. All right, let's go ahead and hit that latest news segment and get this episode underway because we have a lot that we have to talk about today. Latest news. Well, of course, this year, this is what happens all the time. I had a great episode drop for you early Thursday morning with all of my great analysis there for you. And then all of a sudden, of course, we have a trade that changed quite a few things for quite a few players. And of course, I am talking about the Duke Johnson trade that happened on Thursday. Look, that has great implications for a lot of different players here. First of all, it boosts the value of Nick Chubb because while I did not expect Duke Johnson to be a huge factor when it got to Nick Chubb up until Kareem Hunt comes back from his suspension, I did, however, suspect that Duke Johnson would have a little bit of a bigger role if he stayed on the team in an effort to get him involved, being how unhappy he was and being how Cleveland seemingly up until that point had been so hardened on not trading him this offseason. So I therefore I expected he would have at least some kind of role in the passing game. Now that he's gone, Nick Chubb is the bona fide, without a doubt, workhorse until Kareem Hunt comes back. And remember, Kareem Hunt is suspended for the first eight games. That means he will not be back until week 10 because you have the bye week for Cleveland in there as well. So he will not be playing at all through the first nine weeks of the season. And then when we get to week 10, that will be his first week back and being available with the team. So there's even a possibility that it may take a couple of weeks from there of him getting back into practice and being ready to go before he's ready to take on any kind of significant role. So to me, I look at it as you have 10 to 11 straight weeks of Nick Chubb being a workhorse running back and still some who at the very worst will have a 50-50 split with Kareem Hunt in a very high-powered offense. So I do like what this does for Nick Chubb. It offers a little bit of a floor that he didn't really have. The reason why I didn't have him ranked quite as high as some of the other guys, even though I think he is as talented and has as much opportunity as guys like Joe Mixon. Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, those type of people, even though I have him there on a talent level, I still did not feel good about the fact that you were going to have Duke Johnson steal some catching work, theoretically, and you're going to have Kareem Hunt come back eventually, who will need to get a role, and unfortunately, because of the timing of the whole situation, if he does carve out a role for himself, it would be during the fantasy playoffs when you need Nick Chubb, who had been your RB1 for the most part up until that point the most. So that was one of the reasons I was very hesitant on Nick Chubb. It's one of the reasons I think in a lot of platforms, he's ranked a little bit lower than he normally would be. This sort of solidifies him in that territory where you can go 
ahead and take him and feel good about the pick. Yes, you still have to keep an eye on what happens when Kareem Hunt comes back. However, because Duke Johnson's gone, because you know you're going to get RB1 production out of Nick Chubb for at least 10 weeks, if not more, because like I said, the worst case scenario is that it's a 50-50 split across the board. This will also give Nick Chubb an opportunity to show that he actually is a weapon in the passing game. Like I know that he is, like I thought he did show last year, although it seems like a lot of people want to forget or not give him the credit that he deserves in that aspect of his game. So something to keep in mind there. Duke Johnson going to Lamar Miller. Now, what does that do with Houston? Well, look, Johnson's going to get used all over the field for them. I don't think it affects Lamar Miller that much. I know the one of the biggest things that Lamar Miller had was a safety of four because of volume, especially in the passing game. Now, yes, this does mean that Duke Johnson will probably be involved at least to some extent in the passing game as well, but it may not always be coming from the running back position. Remember, this is a guy who did have some experience with lining up as a slot wide receiver and has had practice doing so. I could see Houston making him the backup slot receiver. And with a guy like Kiki Kute, who already got banged up in the first week of preseason, a guy who is injury prone, Duke Johnson very well could wind up being the slot receiver at some point rather than just the backup running back or the guy stealing touches from Lamar Miller in the passing game out of the backfield. So there could be a dual role for him, which means that Lamar Miller's volume overall at the end of the day is pretty safe, and I don't think this moves Lamar down at all. I feel like it keeps him right where he is, which has been a good value for him, mostly in the 8th or the ninth round as that safe guy who you know is going to give you RB2 production because he's done it every year. It's not pretty. It's not explosive. It doesn't have a high ceiling. But he has great value right now because he's going in the 8th and ninth round in most drafts. And yet, he know he's going to give you solid RB2 production on a week-in and week-out basis. I do not think the addition of Duke Johnson changes. What does this do for Duke Johnson's value himself? Well, I don't think it does a whole hell of a lot. Yes, it gives him some opportunities where if I'm in a PPR league, I'm keeping my eye on him. I want to see how Houston tries to use him. Do they line him more up in the slot receiver? Does he get utilized in that fashion? What kind of a role does he have with Lamar Miller? What will the split actually be? None of these questions, I think, have a chance of being answered until possibly the third week of the preseason, where we may get to see the starters play a little bit more during that week. So that would be the next time that I would imagine that we would get any clarity on the situation and even then it's still preseason so just bear that in mind but I am going to keep my eye on him in PPR league standard leagues no half point PPR leagues probably not there either only in a full point PPR league will I think Duke Johnson may have the opportunity to be able to have some value for you during the season enough at least to keep your eye on In other news going around the league, of course, Antonio Brown forgot to take all of his crazy pills apparently on Friday because, man, oh man, it was a very, very busy Antonio Brown day. First, it started off the day that he went radio silent with the Raiders, and nobody knew really as to why that was the case. Then it comes out later on that he is complaining constantly about the fact that he has to now wear a new helmet because the NFL is issuing and mandating players wear the new helmets that are coming in and he did not want to have any part of it apparently put a new helmet on and just absolutely lost it because he felt like he couldn't see as well out of one and now and then 
later on in the afternoon, it comes out like, well, he may try to sue the NFL if he were to get hurt, or he won't even play in the NFL if he's not allowed to wear the helmet that he'd been wearing all of his career up until that point. It was absolutely an afternoon of banana ball Antonio Brown news, and a lot of which it was really hard to tell what was real and what wasn't. And I'm not talking about the reporting. I'm not talking about the news itself. I'm talking about the thoughts and the quotes coming out of Antonio Brown's mouth. What did he believe was true? Did he even believe what he was saying was real? The reality that that man lives in is not part of this world. I will tell you that right now. So it's kind of hard to decipher what is he really being serious about or what is he just trying to make a big stink about. Now, at the end of the day, anybody who's actually worried that he would not play football this year over the helmet issue, you're probably just as crazy as Antonio Brown. He's not going to not play. Is there a player you can think of that has a bigger chip on his shoulder going into this season to prove that he is the top guy at his position and it was not because of the system that he came from or the quarterback he played with? I can't think of anybody who left last year, and this includes Eldon Beckham, this includes Le'Veon Bell, who left his team from a year ago, who has more to prove that is because of his talent and not because of his team that he has been such a highly productive player his entire career. He has a lot to prove this season, and a guy like that is not going to leave something unfinished. So he's not going to not play this year over the helmet issue. I am sure one way or another that ridiculous notion will get worked out at some point whatever the case of it may be. The only thing we are still actually worried about when it comes to Antonio Brown is his frostbitten feet. And from everything that I have read, been told by insiders, people who are doctors or physical therapists who have expertise in these situations say that there's a very good chance that he will be able to be back for week one. However, there is a caveat that comes with this. It does seem like people are very, very, I want to say cynical or maybe less optimistic that he will have the opportunity to practice and get ready with the team up until that point. So it might be like the week before week one where he's actually back and able to make cuts like he's used to being able to make and really be able to fully practice, which does cause some concern because this is a new system. This is a new quarterback that he has to be able to build some chemistry with. So all of these things do go into consideration when factoring in Antonio Brown's value. My thing at the end of the day is pretty clear, and I've, I've kind of stuck to it this entire time. He is a wide receiver one. He is one of the best wide receivers at his position, and right now, for the most part, he is going in the third round. I wouldn't lower him any more than that. So until we hear anything more about the clown, I'm sure we will get some more Antonio Brown news. Watch Hard Knocks. You might get some insider tips. But at the end of the day, I think Friday was just a whole lot of banana town nothingness when it comes to what Antonio Brown's fantasy football value truly is. We have some injury news that we do want to discuss a little bit here. Theo Riddick fractured his shoulder. He's going to be out six to eight weeks, which means at least two to four weeks to kick off the season. He will be out. The thing I find interesting about this is that it's not just that you'll be out two to four games and kick off the regular season, which could be looked at as not a big deal. It's the fact that you just got there less than a week ago onto the team and you will not be able to practice at all with a brand new team, a brand new scheme. Up until that 
point when you're already well into the season. So I will be curious to see, one, if they keep him. It really would not surprise me if they just came to some kind of injury settlement and sent theoretic packing because I don't know if you want to go through that with a guy who's not really a star running back in that situation where he's not going to be able to practice now until probably after September to have him for any kind of substantial role, I think would be a stretch. And that's, that kind of brings me to my second point is that now things go back to, I think it's just predominantly it's Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman. And the only thing you're really worried about is Devontae Booker get more touches than he should in his role as the third string running back. I think you're back to that. And my rankings and, and uh, projections reflect that, by the way. I do have all my rankings and projections updated in case you guys were wondering. They've been updated since the Duke Johnson trade, since the Theo Riddick news earlier today. So they're they're all up to date. Everything that you see on the website is up to date with all the transactions that have been made up until this point. Now, of course, I'm recording this Sunday night. You guys will be hearing this Monday at some point, hopefully. And uh, we all know things can change, quite frankly. But the point is I will be updating the rankings and projections daily as needed to be as we go through August. So don't worry if they're not updated, they probably will be within a 24 hour period from something big happening that would affect numbers from a particular player in fantasy. So I'll make sure you guys all know that I am making sure I'm staying on top of everything. So you have the most updated news for you in case you have a draft coming up because I don't know when you guys draft, but I know it could be any day now that we are in this part of August. To wrap up the latest segment here, we have Andrew Luck is still not practicing. Neither is Paris Campbell, by the way, just as a little cult tidbit. A little less worried about Karis Campbell. Andrew Luck's still not practicing. And the thing that's interesting about this, and I said before that I really don't care until the third week of preseason. If Andrew Luck is still not practicing at that point, then I might start to think about bringing him down in my rankings and projections a little bit. And I stay true on that point. But what I do want to bring up that is new is the fact that there are rumors, not from the Colts organization, but from other teams' organizations that feel as though this calf injury that Andrew Luck has is not nothing, is something more than they are making it out to be, which would not be the first time that that has happened from the Colts organization when talking about Andrew Luck and his health. A lot of people seem to think Andrew Luck is not going to be available week one. Now, like I said, that is coming from other teams' organizations. That is not coming from the Colts. That is not coming from Andrew Luck, but just something that I want to make sure that you guys are aware of. Okay, we're going to hit a quick break right here. Come back on the other side. We're going to kick off with the five best segment on the other side. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. Now, the greatest thing for me while putting together the content for this show was the fact that my top five running backs really don't change all that much, and frankly, not at all, no matter what the scoring format is between standard, half point, or full point PPR. I pretty much have the same top five backs regardless of the situation, which is great because it makes it a lot easier for me to put this show together and to be able to talk about to you, spend more time talking about the five top guys that I have listed. So let's start off with number five, and it's a big one, Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley is ranked fifth in my 
rankings, no matter what the scoring format is. He's actually has the highest point per based. No, I'm sorry. I have to, I said that wrong. I said that completely wrong. He actually has the highest points per game base of the five running backs. So had I had him projected for 16 games, I would have had him number one. Now that brings me to a good point real quick on the side. When you look through my projections, when you look through my rankings, you will go down, you will see the games on, on the co- games column. You will see that I do not have everyone projected for 16 games. Because I think that's something that is a flaw amongst rankers and projectors that they seem to fall into all the time, where they will just put up there that every single player will play for 16 games, and what they'll do is the guys who show more injury risk, they will just project them for less numbers. But I think that does them a disservice. It does them a disservice because on a points-per-game basis, like with Todd Gurley, it really drives that number down, and that's not really going to be the case, because when he's out on the field, I expect him to be the number one running back for fantasy football purposes when he's on the field. So that should reflect that. That's why I project my guys for missing certain games. And their history is what tells me what is a reasonable expectation, which is something I love to say on this show. And you'll you'll know that as we go through August, if you're if you're just joining us for the first time today. What is a reasonable expectation as to what I can expect them to play, or if you want to look at it another way, expect them to miss. What's a pattern for them? What's a good mean for them? And for Todd Gurley, I have him playing 14 games this season. Don't have him playing a full 16. I have him missing two games, maybe because of the knee flare-up. And even with those two games missed, he's still fifth overall in projections, and that's compared against the other guys who are playing 16 games. And like I said, the highest points per game basis. Todd Gurley is a superstar. We all know this. Ed, the only thing anybody is worried about is the knee. Is that going to flare up on a Thursday or on a Friday of practice and all of a sudden go from a guy that you're expecting to have in your lineups all week long to now being questionable in a game time decision on Sunday? These are factors, and I've been saying this all year long. If you're somebody who's not going to want to have to deal with that headache, then maybe Todd Gurley is not going to be a player for you this year. But if you're somebody who knows that as long as he's on the field, you are going to get not just an RB1, but perhaps an RB1 overall, and are willing to take that chance, and are willing to do what you have to do later on in your draft, and, and build your team the way you need to in order to compensate for that possibility, then you are going to get quite a value, my friend, because in a lot of drafts, Todd Gurley's not going into the second round. He's not. So he is going to be a value for somebody. My advice to you guys would be to take the chance on Todd Gurley. Like I said, even with playing 14 games, I still have him in my top five. I wouldn't worry about it too much. He's looked explosive in camp. He's lost a little bit of weight. Everyone said he's looked fine. He's taken every single rep that he's needed to take with the ones as well. He hasn't been sitting out days during training camp, not even for vet days. He's been out there practicing along with his teammates and has had no issues thus far. I think that's something at this point in camp, especially now we're a couple weeks in, that everyone should be able to take and be able to feel confident about moving forward. Number four is Ezekiel Elliott. Now, this could definitely change, and this is the same thing I kind of said with Andrew Luck, and I'm kind of using the same thing with Ezekiel Elliott and, you know, who we're not going to talk about on the show today, but Melvin Gordon as well. 
If he gets to week three and week four of the preseason and he still has not signed, then I will start to become a little bit worried. Then I will start to consider, does he need to come down a little bit? Do I legitimately think he's going to miss games? But it's not going to be until late August that I decide that's going to be an issue. And with Ezekiel Elliott, I have even less fear because I feel like with him, he could actually show up the day after Labor Day, that first Tuesday of the season, and be just fine to play that game and be able to expect anything that you would expect out of him right away. So I don't worry about him too much. So as of now, he's still my number four running back overall in a general about way. Now in in standard leagues, I have him ranked second overall for obvious reasons. He's, he's you know he's going to get fed a ton. We all we all know this. He's going to get fed a ton behind an offensive line that is as good as they have been, as healthy as they have been since his rookie season when they were tearing it up in the run game, when they were known for being hands down the best offensive line in football. They are all back and healthy as of this moment. They have Amari Cooper, which helps take guys out of the box for Ezekiel Elliott on top of it. And in the meantime, over the past few years, Elliott has established himself as a very good pass catcher, a very good safety blanket for Dak Prescott to be able to dump the ball off to. So he shows you value in multiple ways. We all know this about him. So he's second in standard leagues. He's fourth in half point and then fourth in my, in my full point PPR, which is why he is fourth on my list that I'm talking to you about tonight. Number three is Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I don't have Saquon number one. I, ha- I still have him in the top five, and I seem to get crucified for this quite a bit on social media for not having him number one. But yeah, I still have him in my top three. So I'll- I'm making the point right off the bat that I'm clearly nitpicking. Clearly nitpicking. When you're talking about these top five guys, that is what you have to do in order to rank them in any kind of order, is you have to nitpick. And my nitpick about Saquon Barkley is that the Giants' offense sucks. I don't care if it's Eli. I don't care if it's Daniel Jones. The fact of the matter is this offense shows a very much lack of explosive ability that they're going to be able to get guys out of the box. They don't have a deep field threat. I've talked about this several times before. Golden Tate suspended for the first four games. That's going to leave him with Sterling Shepard. Evan Ingram is going to be their best field stretcher from the seam as a tight end and also be their best red zone target outside of Saquon Barkley. Eli's done. We know this. I don't know how many games he plays till Daniel Jones takes over. I suspect it'll probably be maybe six or seven. But we know as long as Eli's in there, teams will be able to squeeze the hell out of the Giants. And even with Daniel Jones in there, they'll be able to do the same thing because they don't actually have a legitimate deep threat on top of it. Plus, he's a rookie quarterback. You're going to be able to squeeze him. He doesn't have the. He's not coming onto the scene like a Deshaun Watson, like a Patrick Mahomes, like a Baker Mayfield, a guy with a cannon of an arm and a dual threat capability. To some degree. To some degree. He's got enough capability to move the chains every so often, but he's not a guy who's going to be able to put defenses back on their heels. And Pat Shermer's not the type of guy to run a lot of RPOs. So you take that out of the equation. The offensive line is okay. It's not great. It's not bad. It's okay. It has a decent interior. But that's it. That defense is awful. The Giants are going to put in a lot of situations where they're going to have to throw the ball a lot this year because I suspect they're going to be coming back from behind quite a bit because that defense is bad. 
is bad. None of these things shape out well for Saquon Barkley. If you're going to be on a bad offense that does not have the ability to score consistently and give your running back opportunities, it doesn't spell well. The running back is the one position where you truly need at least a decent offense around you to really be able to be expected to be a top performer week in and week out. It's one of the few positions that are set up that way where they really do need the team more so than any other position to be decent. We saw what happened to David Johnson last year. Yes, David Johnson was still an RB2, but you took David Johnson in your top five of picks a year ago. And what happened? He was on an offense that couldn't move the ball consistently, that couldn't get in the scoring positions consistently. And as a result, he was a big disappointment. Was he still fantasy viable? Was he the reason you lost your league? No, he was not. But... He was definitely a huge disappointment from what you were expecting, what you were hoping for when you drafted him. I could see a similar situation for Saquon Barkley. And I also have another caveat with him. I'm a little bit worried about his health this year. He's had ankle issues in the past in college. He did have an ankle scare towards the end of last year. If he's put in a situation, which I think he might be, where he could see 350 to 400 touches out of necessity because of the offense being so bad, and he is clearly the best playmaker. It could lead to him getting banged up as a running back. That's a lot of touches. Now on the flip side, it's a lot of touches. He's going to get a lot of volume. He can do everything. He's a great, he's a superstar athlete, superstar running back. He can catch the ball. He can run. He's awesome. It's why he's number three overall. And that's just talking about, then these guys that I'm talking about here, they're not just my top five running backs. These are my top five players overall going into your fantasy drafts, period. Hands down, no matter what scoring format you are in. So he's still my top three player overall. I'm just saying why he should be less than, say, our next guy like Christian McCaffrey. Now, Christian McCaffrey, I think, is equally in an offense that's not that great. But while I am still a skeptic into what Cam Newton's arm is going to look like this year, I do not question his ability to run. I do not question the RPO offense that they are predominantly going to run. And I do not question the fact that they have speed at the receiver position to keep guys honest and out of the box. I don't question the fact that I do think Greg Olson has coming back and if he's not the same guy, which I don't expect him to be the same guy, but if he's healthy enough to at least pose a threat in the red zone, it's going to keep off defenses honest. Christian McCaffrey is still going to get dumped down to a lot by Cam Newton. He's still going to be the security blanket at the end of the day. And he's a guy who even for his size, because of the lack of talent in the depth chart for the running back position on Carolina right now, there's no reason to think that he's not going to average 20 touches a game. Not necessarily 20 carries, but 20 touches a game, possibly more. There's no reason to think he's not in another position to do that again this season. If he can stay as efficient and as effective in the red zone as he was a season ago, he will be really good. I am curious to see if Greg Olson is a true threat in the red zone, if that can really hold up over an entire season. We did see before when Greg Olson was on the field, before he got injured, that Christian McCaffrey did take a little bit of a hit, especially when it came into the red zone. So that's something you'll have to keep your eye on, which is why he's my number two guy. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to be just fine. Alvin Kamara is my number one. He's ranked first in my standard leagues. He's ranked second in my half point and my full point PPR leagues. But Alvin Kamara is my number one. And what's really funny about Alvin Kamara, unlike all the rest of these guys, is that I already know he's going to have less touches than the rest of these guys. But his opportunities to score, the opportunities that he has to be able to break big plays and to make the best of each of his situations 
is why he's number one. Look, I don't think there's a guy who's a more sure thing to score over 16 touchdowns this season than there is in Alvin Kamara. And I have him projected for 18 touchdowns, by the way. You know he's going to catch the ball. You know he's going to run the ball. You know he's a phenomenal athlete. You know the Saints are going to be an incredible offense. You know their defense is actually going to be improved and better because they played a hell of a lot better towards the second half of last season, and I expect them to be more like that than they were in the first half. So they're going to be in games where they're at least either going to be leading or very close to. Very rarely are they going to have to play from behind, meaning Alvin Kamara, no matter what the situation is, will be in the game plan and be able to be involved in a heavy amount. Other than Michael Thomas, to me, I know they got Jared Cook, but other than Michael Thomas, to me, I still think Alvin Kamara is the next best pass catcher on that team and therefore can continue to be the next most targeted player. Latavius Murray is there. So what? Latavius Murray is going to play the Mark Ingram role. That's fine. What I can tell you is that it is most likely... While Latavius Murray will play the quote-unquote Mark Ingram role, he probably will not be on the field quite as much as Mark Ingram is, or was. Alvin Kamara will still have an opportunity to pick up a small percentage of touches and snaps due to the fact that I do not expect Latavius Murray to be out there as often as Mark Ingram. It's just natural that that would be the case. It's just natural that you would open up the offense and give Kamara more and more touches now that you've moved on. And now that he's proven to be your best piece on that offense, yes, you paid Michael Thomas. Next is going to be Alan Kamara. That is the offense. Moving forward in the future, beyond Drew Brees. So I suspect that Kamara will get a few more touches this year. He will get over 200 carries this year. And his passing numbers, I I expect to be about the same. So Alan Kamara is my number one guy. I think he has the safest floor given his situation. He's proven to be durable. He's not going to get overworked, and he's going to have good opportunities. Alvin Kamara is my number one guy. We're going to take a quick break here. Come back on the other side. I got the five busts to go over with you. Tired of spending hours upon hours on research for your drafts, but still want the excitement of having something on the line while watching the game? Well, join the Thrive Fantasy app where they have streamlined the process for you to make it easy and fun to play along. Use promo code MDFF when you sign up with a $10 deposit and receive an additional $10 for free. Again, that's promo code MDFF. Talking about the five busts is always my favorite part of these episodes in this mini-series because that is where I get the most feedback, the most reaction, the most interesting conversations from you guys on social media. Remember, I'm here for all of you. Any comments, whether you agree with me or not, at Show on Twitter, Show on Facebook, or you can even send me an angry email if you want to on mdffshow.com under the contact us tab. I'm there for you. I don't care if you agree or disagree. Have a good argument. That is what this show is all about, and I will continue to say that. That is what I want all of my listeners to know. I want you all to have the best information that you can possibly have, but I also want you to be able to have the logical reasons in your head for one reason or another to make the argument of your opinion. Make it strong. Don't just give me opinions out of your ass. I don't care about that. Have a logical explanation as to why you feel the way you do. That is why I do this show. Most importantly, more... 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anything. Because at the end of the day, it's your team. I'm going over these guys. I'm giving you my five best. I'm giving you my five busts. I'm giving you my five sleepers. But everybody has an idea of who they think is going to do well and who they're not. My thing to you is to make sure that you are building your team correctly, to make sure you are not doing yourself a disservice, is to make sure that you have a logical reason, explanation, or argument as to why or why not on certain players. So that's why I don't care if you disagree. And that's why I love doing these segments because it gives all kinds of fascinating conversations. So let's start off with the fifth guy on my list. And I really think that this one's really not that big of a surprise. Tariq Cohen. Now look, his ADP right now is 29th. But for me, I don't have him ranked anywhere near his 29th ADP. I have him 41st in standard leagues. And I have him 40th in half-point PPR leagues. And then I have him 35th and full-point PPR leagues. So I'm closest to that 29th ADP if it's a full-point PPR league. And for obvious reasons, Tariq Cohen, we suspect, will be still involved when it comes to the passing game. But to what degree? That is the question. Look, I'm, we're going to talk about David Montgomery in a second, but let's just look at Mike Davis, who seems to be left out of this conversation. They paid Mike Davis. Now, granted, that was before they knew they were going to have the opportunity to draft David Montgomery. But they still paid Mike Davis a decent little penny. Enough to, you're going to need to use him during the season to at least some degree to justify the contract that you gave him. Because while it's not overall a crazy expensive contract, because it was, it was about three years, $12 million, I believe. It's not an overall expensive contract, but for a running back in today's age to get a multi-year deal for about that much money, it means you're a guy who they expect to use. So we're going to see a little bit of Mike Davis, and he showed in Seattle that he can get, he can catch the ball. He can be used in that, in that part of the game. David Montgomery is the big one here. Look, to me, David Montgomery, I said it before, if you go back to my draft episodes back in April when I was talking about these guys before they got drafted, before we knew what teams they were going to be on, and I was just telling you what I thought their fantasy values and what kind of prospects they could be, David Montgomery was one of my top two running backs. It was him and Daryl Henderson. And David Montgomery, the guy I compared him to was Kareem Hunt. I think he has similar vision. I think he has a similar skill set when it comes to running the football, similar balance, similar ability to break tackles. And the other nice thing about him is that he is an underrated pass catcher. He didn't do it a lot in Iowa. That doesn't mean he can't do it. He showed natural hands. And we got to see in week one of the preseason, he showed his natural hands there. Now, he didn't really get a lot of room to run around and make something with it after the catch. 
But he showed he's definitely a guy who can come out of the backfield and catch a good ball, catch a good screen, come out and make an angle route. David Montgomery is a complete back, and eventually, at some point, I don't know if it'll be this season, but he will be a workhorse back for this team. He's the closest thing to Matt Forte this team has had since he's been gone. And that's another good comparison, in my opinion, too. Matt Forte and Kareem Hunt, I think, are very similar players in the skill set that they bring. I think David Montgomery is that type of player. So what's Tariq Cohen going to do? He's got two running backs now that are factors in the passing game. It wasn't like that lad. Jordan Howard, while they tried to make him a factor early on to try to see if they could get a guy who could be a workhorse back. And remember, they did try to do that last year. And that's why Tariq Cohen didn't have any value until about week five, week six of the season because of how much they were trying to use Jordan Howard early on in the year and in all capacities of the game. They tried to do that last year, but he's gone now. Now they have guys who can actually fill that role. Now the guys who have actually can do that. So what's going to happen to Tariq Cohen? I don't see how you touch him. I don't. I don't see how you draft him. You let someone else make that mistake. You let someone else hold on to the fact that he is an explosive player and that, yeah, he'll be involved in the passing game to some degree at some point. Sure, let them hold on to that because you can't look me in the eye and tell me you're going to be any confidence whatsoever when you play Tariq Cohen in your week-to-week matchups or know what week is the week to play him unless it's, you know, there's, unless there's injuries and unless it's just obvious that he's going to have to be involved due to that. You're not going to be able to know. Best ball, DFS, yeah, sure, take a shot. Certain matchups, best ball just to have on your team because you know have a couple big games here and there. But in redraft leagues, from a week-to-week basis... I don't, I don't see it. I don't see why you would make that mistake. Let someone else make that mistake for you. Number four on my list is Darius Geis. Probably one of my most hated running backs of all the running backs that get talked about in redraft leagues. His ADP is 28th. My standard rank for him is 59. My half point, 62. And my full point is 62. I, don't, I have him severely, severely off from where the ADP on him is right now. Now, as you can suspect, a big reason for that is I don't have him starting. I don't have him starting over Adrian Peterson this season. They brought back Adrian Peterson for a reason. They brought him back knowing that they are supposed to have Darius Geis ready to go this season. And for multiple reasons, I don't think Darius Geis gets to start. One, I don't think he's as good as anybody else has made him out to be up to this point coming out of college to begin with. And I've been well documented as of that. I think him and Ronald Jones are in the same boat. They got touted as explosive runners, and I think they were way overhyped on the explosive part of their ability. And I've pointed that to 40-yard dashes, game film. I've pointed that out over podcast over time. So go back and listen on Radio Public or any one of your favorite pod apps, as always. And then on top of it, he already got a hamstring injury in minicamp. Now he's over it now. He's practicing again, but he's injury prone. He had his ACL last year. It doesn't surprise me if this guy's going to have soft tissue injuries throughout this year from compensating from that ACL a year ago. And because he did not play a season ago, he is essentially going into what is his actual rookie season in the NFL. He hasn't learned how to pass protect. And on top of all of that, even if he had Chris Thompson's back, So even if he was somehow to overtake the job from AP, which I don't see happening, he's still not going to get worked in on third down because Chris Thompson's going to get worked in there as well. 
So I don't get where Darius Geis presents this ceiling of value that has an ADP of 28. Again, let someone else make that mistake because that does put him in a territory where he will be expected to be drafted at some point and he should not be. Should absolutely not be. Number three on my list is Miles Sanders. And this is the one where I suspect I will get as much feedback on as I did in the Kyler Murray situation a week ago, who also happened to be my number three bust in the quarterback list. Just a nice little coincidence there. But yeah, it's Miles Sanders. I don't. Everyone seems to have amnesia all at the same time when we talk about Miles Sanders. And we seem to all forget, you know what the Eagles do on a regular basis? They do running back by committee. And it's not just a running back by committee between two guys. It's a running back by committee between three and four guys. They're the mini Patriots. You don't know who's going to play what week. You don't know who's going to have the hot hand. You don't know whose week it is to produce. Now, last year was a little bit understandable to some degree because guys kept getting hurt. And you were, you were down to Josh Adams being one of the lone backs that was healthy for you a season ago. And that's a big reason why he played in the capacity that he did towards the end of the year. But that's not what they're trying to do. Now, I know some of the reports are, well, if Miles Sanders can prove that he can do it, Doug Peterson would like to go to a bell cow back at some point. Maybe. We'll see. I personally do not think there's a difference between Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard when it comes to talent. And let's not forget, Jordan Howard is not some old veteran back there. He's a young guy, too who will get to start week one. It won't be Miles Sanders. And I think does have a chance to look pretty good in that offense behind that offensive line. So it's going to take quite a performance in practice for Miles Sanders to really overtake Jordan Howard. Or it would take Jordan Howard not being able to take advantage of the opportunity laid before him when he does get to start in week one for Miles Sanders to get his chance as well. Now as a rookie running back, I'll say this time and time again, the biggest thing you still have to learn is pass pass protect. Because if you can't pass protect, you're not going to play. Period. And I know he's been getting a lot of hype from beat writers and inside Eagles camp. And I know how highly touted he was. I know he was a second round pick. I've been on the record of saying that I am not a Miles Sanders believer. I do not believe in his talent. I do not think he's anything more than a run in the mill, dime a dozen type of running back. And I still don't. So that is also going to play a part of this as well. Of course it is. Of course it is. How could it not? This is the guy who I saw anytime he got past the second level, got hawked down on a regular basis. He does not explosive in my book. This is not a guy who I think has a quick twitch in between the tackles to make guys miss on a regular basis. This is a guy I suspect will be stopped at the line of scrimmage more times than not. I don't see a special quality in his game. I don't see an ability to bust the game wide open in the passing game. So... I'm not a believer, so I'm not a believer in that sense, and I, and this is not anything. If you've been listening to the show, it's not anything I'm telling you that's new. I've been on the record of saying this in the same episode that I talked about David Montgomery. I also talked about Miles Sanders and not being a fan. So this definitely has a part to do with it. But even if Miles Sanders is everything that they want him to be, even if he is truly a running back who is special in between the tackles, they're still not going to let him be the workhorse back. And I don't care how many times they try to tell you that Doug Peterson might be open to the idea. Why? Because they brought back Darren Sproles. Because Corey Clement is still going to be on the team. They're going to use these guys in a pass-catching role regardless of who the first, second down, or goal line back is. And on top of that, like I said, barring injury, was Jordan Howard just going to disappear this season? They did trade for him. They did offer up a fourth-round pick. It wasn't nothing. So 
all of those factors get to play in here. I think I don't think any of the Eagles running backs as a result are going to have much value this season due to that fact. So it's not just Miles Sanders here. I don't think Jordan Howard is going to have a ton of value. I don't think Darren Sproles is going to have a ton of value because they're just all going to eat into each other. This is going to be a good team on a good offense, and the running backs are going to have weeks where they perform well. But knowing which running back whose week it's going to be, I think it's going to be a pain. Outside of knowing that Jordan Howard will be the starter week one, I don't feel confident about trying to take a chance on playing a running back from the Eagles in any other week unless there's injury or some kind of clarity coming over the position at some point during the season. Stay away from Miles Sanders. He's, his ADP is 32 right now. I have him ranked 41st in standard leagues, 42nd in both half-point and full-point PPR leagues. Stay away. It's another guy who I'm going to tell you, let someone else make that mistake. Even if this guy takes over, he's still going to be in the committee. So just keep that in mind. My number two on my bus list is Aaron Jones. Now, this one was a hard one for me because I like Aaron Jones. I do. I like his talent. I like his situation on the offense. I like the fact that Mike McCarthy's gone, so maybe he will get a fair shake out of the running back touches. I do. I like all of that. But yeah, he's still my number two. Why? Because his ADP is 15, and I have him ranked 25th in standard leagues. 23rd in both half-point and full-point PPR leagues. I have him considerably lower. And he's a back who's going high enough where he's going to be on he's going to be on a team in every single league. So I just want to make sure you guys are valuing him properly. Right now, he's going in the back in the fourth round, fifth round. It's too high. It's too high. Needs to be the sixth, seventh round. And there's multiple reasons for that. One, I don't believe in that Green Bay offensive line, especially on the interior. Two, Matt LaFleur has not backed off of his sentiment that he may try to do a running back by committee approach with him and Jamal Williams when, J- when Jamal Williams is back and healthy. Now, I say when Jamal Williams is back and healthy, that has been the one caveat to his point. Now, keep in mind, Aaron Jones just came back to practice today from his hamstring issue that he had a week ago. Now, given he is back at practice, there is still three weeks to go to the season, so at this point, it is safe to expect that he will be healthy for that and he'll be over the hamstring issue. So that's the good news. But he does have injuries of his own. That's one of them. He does have problems with soft tissue injuries. I do have him projected for playing for 14 games. I don't have him for a full 16-game season because of that reason. And I, I think it's a reasonable expectation to have for him this season as well. But when Jamal Williams does come back, what's going to happen? Because Matt LaFleur has constantly said that he will do a committee approach. He has not come out and said that Aaron Jones will just be the workhorse guy or even be out there predominantly most of the time with a small share of Jamal Williams. He's talked about a committee. Aaron Jones being the starter, but having a committee. It shouldn't be the case. Aaron Jones is head and shoulders way better than Jamal Williams. And that's been proven time and time again. But that's what's come out of his mouth. And that's what he thats what he did in Tennessee. So we don't know. There's a lot of things not to really love about Aaron Jones in this situation. And because he's a guy who's going to go as high as he is, because he's a guy who's going to mostly be taken as an RB2 for most of these teams, I'm telling you, I would feel a lot better if he was in a position where he could be my flex. Or be a value RB2 in that 6th, 7th round if I went receiver heavy and I need running back help then. But I'm not taking him in the 4th, 5th round around guys that are like Devontae Freeman, Carrion Johnson, Marlon Mack, Mark Ingram. All those guys are going in that similar range. I'm not taking him with those guys. He doesn't have the floor nor the upside, quite frankly, of those other players. 
Those are true RB2s. Those are guys you can take and know that's what you're going to get of them week in, week out basis. I think that's what Aaron Jones is going to do. I think he has the opportunity to do that. I think he has the ability to do that. I don't know if he's going to quite get the opportunity from his coaching staff to be able to do so. Plus, there's other things to be concerned about, like I said, with the offensive line. And this will be a pass-first team. My number one bust is Damian Williams. And I could not, could not wait to get this one out there. His ADP right now is running back 13. I have him ranked 22nd in standard, 20th in half-point PPR, and 19th in full-point PPR. So I'm still saying he is around that RB2, low-end RB2 territory. But ADP 13, you're saying he's a high-end RB2, possibly low-end RB1. And to that, I think is laughable. It's absolutely laughable. And on a lot of platforms, I see him going towards the back end of the second round, early part of the third round, for the most part. Doesn't belong anywhere near there. He belongs back in the fifth. Back in the back end of the fourth round, fifth round area. That's where he belongs. This is a guy who has run out of the Dolphins. This is a guy who has been proven that he's not that efficient of a runner on a consistent basis. Yes, he played very, very well towards the second half of last season. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And had a great game in the playoffs for the Kansas City Chiefs when Kareem Hunt left. Absolutely. The one thing I've pointed to all summer long and will continue to point to is that he didn't it wasn't just Kareem Hunt that had to leave for him to be put in that position to get the ball as much as he did. It also took Spencer Ware getting hurt because when Kareem Hunt first left, it was Spencer Ware's job with Damian Williams getting mixed in in the passing game. Not Damian Williams' job with Spencer Ware getting mixed in goal line situations. That wasn't the case. So it wasn't until Spencer Ware got hurt that they had no choice but to give Damian Williams all these touches. And this was a high-powered offense. We all know this was the number one offense in the NFL. They had lots of scoring opportunities. Damian Williams is a very good pass catcher. I do like I like him in PPR leagues, and I, I have that down as my 19th guy. But do not take this guy as a borderline first-rounder. Do not take this guy with the idea that he could be your running back one. Carlos Hyde is going to get worked in, and quite frankly, I'm still under the belief that Carlos Hyde is the better of the two running backs from a running standpoint, from a pure runner standpoint. Damian Williams will be involved in the pass-catching situations. I have no doubt about that. He is good at that area, but he is not a guy who's good at the goal line. He is not a guy who has a good yards per carry average throughout his entire career. Carlos Hyde does especially when he's been in good situations on a good offense. Look what he did with the 49ers Kyle Shanahan before he went to the abysmal situation of the Cleveland Browns. And I don't even count when he got traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars last season. That shouldn't even count as to what his production is. And on top of it, we've seen Damian Williams have a hamstring issue already. Damian Williams is injury prone. He did have hamstring issues when he was in Miami. It's one of the reasons he lost a job to guys like Jay Ajayi. So, he's also injury prone to some degree. And Andy Reid already came out and said, just recently, I might use a committee approach 
And that's coming off the heels of Damian Williams coming back from practice from his hamstring issue after praising Carlos Hyde how well he was looking as the starter in the offense while Damian Williams was sitting on the bench. So these are all things to take into consideration. The groundwork has already been laid by Andy Reid for Damian Williams to not have as much of a factor, much of a significant role as he's expected to have at this point. I do think Carlos Hyde takes over at some point. I do think Damian Williams does not play 16 games. PPR leagues, I'm okay with it if you're, you know, as long as you're taking him towards more of like the back end of the third. Then I'm okay with it because he's on he's on the Chiefs offense at the end of the day. But this is a guy who I would really suggest staying away from. We're gonna take a quick break, come back on the other side. I got the five sleepers for you. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. The Five Sleepers is always the segment the fans always want to hear about the most because they want to know who can they steal? Who can they pick and later on their drafts to look like a genius in front of their other friends to be able to rub it in their faces of being able to tout themselves as fantasy football experts whenever you hit on a sleeper? There's no greater feeling in the world than to be able to be proven that your guy was the right one to choose, and everybody else was wrong. And that is where you get into when you talk about sleeper territory, which is what makes it so unique when talking about fantasy football. And, of course, I have five great ones for you here. Now, I want to say with the sleepers, it's not all about guys that you would take into double-digit rounds that I think might actually perform better than their ADP. It's about guys anywhere throughout the draft that I think present to you a exceptional value for where their ADP is as of now. So it might not always be a back-end guy that we're talking about. So just bear that in mind as we go through this list. But number five, my number five sleeper is Dion Lewis. His ADP is 49. I have him 32nd in standard, 38th in half point, and 33 in full point PPR leagues. Now, the biggest thing, the reason why I have Deion Lewis so much higher than the ADP is because I am not a big believer in Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry has proven to be inefficient throughout his entire career, and while he had a crazy spurt towards the end of last year, there's no doubt about it. He had one of the easiest schedules at the end of the season. He had a team that decided they were just going to give him the ball come hell or high water, 25 carries game, and he he produced. He took advantage of his opportunities. I'm not holding that against him, but what I will say, it's a very small sample size of success compared to the much larger sample size that we have to go off of as far as him being inefficient on a week-to-week basis. And we'll have to see. Look, he's already banged up. He's missing some practices over the past week. He's not expected to miss week one in that sense, but there are some things to his game that have not shown any improvement. One being the pass catching game. That's still going to be Deion Lewis. He's still the best pass catcher in there. He's still getting paid pretty well too, guys. He's still going to get used. This is not Derrick Henry all of a sudden for 20 to 22 carries a game with Deion Lewis just getting sprinkled in. This is still a situation that most likely will be Derrick Henry 16 to 18 times carrying the ball with Deion Lewis being the primary pass catching back and also, by the way, getting a few carries in his own right. I do expect the Tennessee Titans to be a run first team. 
So that opens up extra opportunities for the running backs in general as a result. But I also don't expect Derrick Henry to play a full 16 games. So that's something else to try to keep in mind. Look, Deion Lewis is a pretty good backup and is going to have a pretty significant role. And while that caps the ceiling of Derrick Henry at the end of the day, I does make Deion Lewis a steal, especially in PPR leagues. Especially in PPR leagues. He's going to be involved in the passing game. He's going to be the check down guy. So I do like Deion Lewis quite a bit, and that's why he's number five on my sleeper list. Number four is Latavius Murray. So I talked about with Alvin Kamara, I talked about Latavius Murray playing that Mark Ingram role. I don't expect him to get quite as many touches, quite as many snaps as Mark Ingram, as I talked about, but he is going to have a significant role. And right now, I'm kind of shocked that his ADP is 38. I have him 30th in standard leagues, 31st in half point, and then of course 37th in full point PPR leagues, because I don't expect him to catch the ball all that much. So I'm close to the ADP in a PPR league. But in standard leagues, I'm quite a few spots up. And he has the potential, I believe, to even outperform the rank that I've given him as well. Because he is an opportunity where he's going to get some goal line work. He's going to get work in general, but it's a good offense that's going to give him good opportunities. Similar with Alan Kamara. It's a good offense going to give him good opportunities, even if he doesn't get as many touches as the other elite backs. The same thing kind of goes with Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray is going to have flex value from a week-to-week basis low-end RB2 value. He is a guy who's going to have opportunities to score. He is a guy who's going to have an opportunity to run for 100 yards in a game here and there. And he's a guy who's going to get used consistently. So while you have him, maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling in the world, but he is a guy who's going to present you the opportunity to be able to get you 60 yards and a touchdown on any given week. I think he's a more explosive pass catcher than Mark Ingram is as well. I think he has the ability to break to make bigger runs. So this is a good situation for Latavius Murray, and I was just kind of surprised to see him as low as he was. Number three on my list is Carlos Hyde. So of course, if Damian Williams is going to be my number one bust, then that would probably be safe to assume that I would have Carlos Hyde as a guy that I like later on, because of how late he's going. His ADP is 45th. I have him ranked 35th in standard leagues, 37th in half-point PPR leagues, and 41st in full-point PPR leagues. So I'm kind of close to him in the ADP for the full point PPR. Pretty similar to Tavius Murray. I don't expect him to be that involved in the passing game. I did talk about with Damian Williams. That's why he is ranked as high as he is. That's why he has a chance to not be a have the bust floor fall out completely out from under him because he will still be involved in the passing game because he is better there. But Carlos Hyde, I truly believe, is the better runner. Carlos Hyde is the guy who's going to be getting the goal line work. That's not going to be Damian Williams. It's going to be Carlos Hyde. Hell, he scored a touchdown in the goal line last preseason game with the when they, when they ran with the ones. Now, I'm not going to take too much out of the preseason, but I was already evident of what I believe we're going to see throughout the regular season right there in week one of the preseason. He's a better running back than people seem to want to give him credit for. They all seem to just throw out or forget the year that he had with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan the last time he was in a decent situation and the starter for the entire season. He's only two years removed from that. He's only two years removed from being a top 15 running back in fantasy football. And he's on a really good situation here with a good offense or with backing up a running back who has soft tissue issues. So it's something to keep in mind here. That's why Carlos Hyde is somebody I definitely would want you guys to grab late in your drafts. My number two sleeper is Kenyon Drake. Now, this is one that he is going higher, but he's still a sleeper to me. Why? Because his ADP is 25th, and I have him ranked 
consistently 18th across the board in any scoring format. And that to me is a significant difference because that is the difference between him going in the fourth, in the the back end of the fourth, early fifth round to the third round or early fourth round. And that round difference can be a huge difference when you're talking about the players that are right there because you're trying to lock down your RB2s, your wide receiver twos. You're trying to lock down core fundamental pieces that are going to be a part of your league that season. So it is a crucial issue at that point. I do think Kenyon Drake's a steal there. There's a lot of leagues that I'm in where I see him going even in the sixth round. He would be a steal in the sixth round if he's there for you. Everybody wants to make a big deal about Kalen Blage. Kalen Blage, are the the Dolphins going to use a running back by committee? Worst case scenario, Kenyon Drake splits the carries 50-50. But the passing game, there's, there's nothing to worry about. The passing game is Kenyon Drake. He is such a better pass catcher than Kalen Balazs. It's not even funny. So I expect him to be heavily involved in there, where I have him on a 70 to 30% split between the two. So because of that, he has a natural floor. And then his natural ability of being a true, legitimate gameplay maker is going to put him in a situation where he is going to be able to give you RB1 type of weeks because he has that playmaking ability. So on top of all that, it's been overblown as to how much Kalen Blodge is really going to play. Look at this first preseason. It was Kenyon Drake who was on the field first. Kenyon Drake started that game, not Kalen Blodge. Kalen Blodge came in later. Kalen Blodge did score. So did Kenyon Drake. He's such a better runner. He's such a better running back in general. Now, will they use Balazs? Yeah, like I said, to some degree. But worst case scenario is that 50-50 split. I really think Kenyon Drake is somebody who can be an RB2 for you that will give you RB1 weeks throughout the season. My number one sleeper is Mark Ingram. And I've been beating the Mark Ingram drum all summer long. All summer long. His ADP right now is 22. I have him ranked 7th in Stainer Leagues. 10th in half-point PPR leagues, and then 19th in full-point PPR leagues. Now, that's not because I don't think he won't be involved in the passing game, because I think he will, which is one of the reasons why I have him so high in the standard leagues, because I do think he's going to offer you some passing work as well. But at the end of the day, I think the Baltimore Ravens, there's a decent chance they could be one of the you know, last four teams when it comes to passing attempts overall for the season this year. So I just don't think there will be a lot of opportunities in general for anybody to be that involved in the passing game. So that's where I kind of factor that in. But Mark Ingram is going to be the workhorse back. All of these guys who are loving them from Justice Hill, who think Gus Edwards is going to have this significant role, they're going to get touches because that running back position for the Baltimore Ravens this year is probably, as a unit, going to be somewhere between 35 and 38 touches, which, by the way, would be a less per game touch than they were a season ago. So if you think that's high, they actually did even more than that last season because they were in the 40s. They go back to 35 to 38 touches that running back position. Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, they'll get some touches here and there. But Mark Ingram is the guy who's going to be carrying the ball 20 times a game, who's going to be involved for three to five targets a game. And I think that's going to be a week-in and week-out basis. The only time it won't be is if the Ravens fall behind, which I don't expect to happen that often because that is still going to be a good defense this season. They're going to be in a lot of games. They're going to try to win them 17 to 14. That's the type of game plan that they have going into this year, which means... Time of possession is going to be a big factor for them. So we know all this. We know they're going to be run first. And with Lamar Jackson, mobile quarterbacks, man, 
they give that running back that extra yard per carry average more times than not. And in Lamar Jackson's case, I'd be willing to bet money that he does that for Mark Ingram. I love Mark Ingram this year. I think he can, in the standard leagues, I do have him finishing there. I think he can finish as an RB1. And will, quite frankly. So that is why he's my number one sleeper. Because he's going in the back end of the fourth, that fifth round. He's a guy who, if he's there in the third round, especially in the half point or standard league, I am taking him there without blinking twice. In a full point PPR, I might see if I can get greedy in the fourth round and take him. But I'm still going to go in with the mindset that I'm going to have a high-end RB2, even in full-point PPR leagues, because of how heavily utilized and how effective I expect him to be in that Greg Roman system. And just one more point about all the people who are going to want to come in here and hassle me on social media about the Justice Hill situation. Greg Roman doesn't play rookie running backs. I don't know why people forgot this, but look at the San Francisco 49ers, look at the Buffalo Bills, look all over. Those rookie running backs do not get much playing time under Greg Roman. They are never put in a situation, as long as he has a veteran running back that he can trust, they are never put in a situation where they could take over the job in that first year either. So Justice Hill is not going to take over this year. Next year, will he have some more opportunities? Sure. The year after that, when Mark Ingram is gone because of his contract, then yeah, we'll see. But Gus Edwards, number one, is the handcuff to own. But two, Justice Hill is not going to be involved as much as you think he's going to be because Greg Roman doesn't play his rookie guys. He doesn't. That's his history. So don't forget that as well. We're going to take a quick break, come back here. We're just going to get to a few questions in the mailbag segment because we're coming right up against the clock. So let's get into it. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. All right, well, since we're already over a little bit on that hour-long mark that I try to stay close to, we're just going to answer three questions here. So... The rest of you guys, I will get to you whether you hit me up on Twitter at MDSFFshow or on Facebook at MDFFshow or if you direct emailed me through the website at www.mdffshow.com. I will make sure I get back to you uh, with an answer to all of your questions if I have not already. So just keep that in mind. But for now, I have three questions that I do want to get into before we wrap up the show today because they're pretty important questions as we're gearing up for our drafts. Spencer on Twitter asks, Stefan Diggs or Calvin Ridley in the flex? So if Spencer doesn't really actually specify whether it's a standard or a half point or a full point PPR league, uh, just says in the flex. So I assume you already had your draft and this is a redraft situation. Uh, it's Stefan Diggs. And I brought this question up and I put, the, put this one in the show because this is a classic example of somebody trying to overthink a situation. Stefan Diggs is in a 1A, 1B situation with Adam Thielen as far as who the leading receiver is. Calvin Ridley is clearly the number two. Now, while Calvin really could have very good season totals throughout the year, he is in a situation where he will most likely get his statistics in bunches and be inconsistent on a week-to-week basis, kind of similar to how he was a season ago. 
Now, I expect him to get better in year two and and show more talent, show more development as far as an NFL player. But from a statistical standpoint, I don't know how much more improvement you can really expect in this situation. Yes, I expect him to be the number two over Mohamed Sanu throughout the entire season, but Mohamed Sanu is still there. Yes, he should be able to have the opportunity to put up a good amount of touchdowns, but he had 10 last year. So I don't know how much more than that, or I really wouldn't be surprised if he wound up at 8 or 9. Not that that would be bad, but it would still be a regression in the statistical production as far as fantasy football goes. Stephon Diggs, while he had really high totals in targets and receptions, he had one of his lower totals in yards and touchdowns, and I expect the Minnesota offense to be a more efficient, well-oiled machine in the new system that they are running this season than they were a year ago, which I do, which I do think at the end of the day will produce more opportunities for Stephon Diggs to get bigger plays than he did a season ago. So like I said, he might not actually wind up with as many catches as he did last year, but I do expect him to wind up with more yards. I expect him to wind up with more touchdowns and he could wind up with still a great amount of catches as well but I expect that offense to be much more efficient the Falcons offense of course is going to be great but Stephon Diggs is a true top end wide receiver two, low end wide receiver one guy on a week-to-week basis what he's able to put up with Calvin really is a solid wide receiver too so if you actually had the choice between the two it should be Stephon Diggs as your flex guy Kareem asks on Facebook, I have Damian Williams in the fourth round, but now I feel nervous between the committee comments and a hamstring. What do you think? Well, Kareem, this is a great question to ask me today because if you listen to my earlier segment, I probably already answered this question when I had Damian Williams as my number one bust at the running back position. Yeah, I don't love it. Now, look, the fourth round, and I'll just let's just say this is a PPR format. It doesn't really specify here, but let's just say that it is for this this question, real quick. Uh, I'm not going to hate you in the fourth round for taking Damian Williams in a PPR format. Like I said, while I think it's more up in the air than some people want to realize as far as his goal line situational work, as far as his first and second down running opportunities go. There's no doubt in my mind that as long as Damian Williams is on the field, he will be the primary pass catcher in an offense that's going to pass first, pass often, and have great opportunities to score. So I am perfectly fine with you taking Damian Williams in the fourth round. I don't think that's a bad value there. However, if you took him in the fourth round with this idea that you have a high-end RB2, possibly lower-end RB1 on your hands, that may not be the case. That may not be the mindset that you want to take. Or if you took him, if this is a standard league, let's say, I don't really love it there. I would have rather wait to the fifth or the sixth round. But this is still a guy who's going to be, I think, a floor of an RB2 at the end of the day. It's just depending on where you, what you need him to be and where in that RB2 range he falls. Like I said, PPR leagues, he's going to be there. He'll be okay. But I do think Carlos Hyde's going to be much more involved. I do think Damian Williams will prove that he's been an inefficient runner his entire career for a reason. So I've talked about that in the episode so far. So I probably didn't squall any of your nervousness. All I could say to you is that check to see if Carlos Hyde was drafted because there are some leagues where he has not been and pick him up. Check to see maybe if... You know, what it would cost you in a trade, possibly, for Carlos Hyde if it wouldn't cost you much to somebody else uh, who maybe has a position of need. But I would pretty much what I would do is I would cover my bases if I was if I was you. And 
I would be fine, like I said in the beginning of the season, it's throughout the season that I would be more worried about what Damian Williams is going to be able to provide for you on a week-to-week basis, depending on the scoring format that you're in. Our last question we're going to get to real quick is Isaac asked, I have a keeper question. Should I keep Christian McCaffrey in the second or keep Juju Smith-Schuster in the sixth round? First of all, kudos to you for having two great keepers. Uh, Second of all, it's Smith-Schuster in the sixth round. Look, Christian McCaffrey in the second round is a phenomenal value. There's absolutely positively no doubt about that. But Smith-Schuster in the sixth round, a wide receiver one in the sixth round, do you know what you can do to build up the rest of your team if you have a guaranteed locked wide receiver one that you're getting in the sixth round when most people are trying to lock down their flex positions at that point and you already have a wide receiver one there, you can get another premium running back who's not named Christian McCaffrey in the first round. You can get other guys in the second round, in the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round. You have a wide receiver one in the sixth round. Do not pass that up. That is the greater value of the two. Definitely go Juju Smith-Schuster, Isaac. That is going to wrap up the show. I had a great time with this one. I know we ran a little bit long, but that's how much content we had to get to. And we still have another episode for you again on Thursday. That'll be the five best, five bust, five sleepers for the wide receiver position on Thursday. There will be another mailbag segment, so make sure you go to my Twitter handle, at MDSFFshow. Not just for that, for the player news update notifications, as well as a lot of news is coming out with training camp in full swing here. Go to my Facebook page, at MDSFFshow show go to my website www.mdffshow.com all of which you can message me or email me directly to ask questions and possibly get a couple of your questions put on the air also on my website make sure you go and check out the updated 2019 projections and rankings there's a downloadable button there for you on the bottom so you can take the work home with you You don't have to be on the website download it to your device use it for your drafts that is what it is there for you can check me out on radio public or any of your favorite podcast apps the md's fantasy football show is widely available to you and of course check me out on one of my networks overtimeheroics.com unwrapsports.com and bellyupsports.com I can't wait to see you guys on Thursday. Have a lovely day. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 